this morning. And today is a, a special day in the life of a, a believer, in the life of a church. It is, is a day that we, we get to celebrate. We get to celebrate this amazing thing that all of Christianity hangs on. That there are a lot of things that you may know about Christ, of, of the Christian history, of the Christian church. There may, may be a lot that we know, but there's one thing that is fundamental, that if, if there's one thing that we do not know, then we don't know Christ, and that is the resurrection of Christ. And so this is an amazing day. Uh, one of the things I told our first service, and I want to uh, tell this service as well, and that I constantly have to remind myself is that music, when in a time of worship, when we sing music, congregational hymns, or when the, uh, the choir singing as they did this morning, uh, beautifully as they did, that these aren't just, these aren't fillers. These aren't, we aren't just trying to fill time so we can get a whole hour's worth in, but these are actually for a purpose, that they, the, the theology behind them, the meaning behind them, they make a difference, and so so I want to really encourage you when we, when we sing together, that it not just be a time where, all right, let's, what's the next song? All right, what's the next song? Let's get this over with. Because I'm, I'm a guy who, I like, the, I like the sermons. I'm kind of weird. I like to hear the sermon. I like to get to the sermon. But what I've learned is we got to stop, stop and slow down that all of this is part of the worship experience. So hopefully this morning you've already started to hear from the Holy Spirit that God is working on your heart this morning. But let's jump into our, our message this morning. It is finished. You'll see the title this morning is It Is Finished. And we want to unpack that a little bit. Um, and what does that mean? When Jesus spoke the words, it is finished, what did that mean? What, what was he uh, saying there on the cross when he spoke these words? But before we go into that, uh, in uh, chapter uh, 19, John chapter 19, that's where we're going to be this morning. I want to read these verses to you. Uh, 28, starting in verse 28 through 30. And it says this, After this, when Jesus knew that everything was accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there. So they, fi they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on hyssop and held it to his mouth. Just to stop to give you a little context of what's going on here in the scripture is that Jesus has been brutally beaten. He's been whipped, he's been beaten, he's been placed on the cross, been nailed to the cross. And this is near the, the last part of, this is the, the very end of the crucifixion. And he says, I am thirsty. They hold up the, 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 the sour wine to him. In verse 30, it says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. He gave up his spirit. That Jesus died. And I think about this when I was reading this, I was thinking, man, what if we were in the, the shoes of the disciples? Imagine how you would have felt, how hopeless life would have seemed in those moments. And Jesus says, it is finished. And then you see him die. Whereas many of the disciples, there were John was there at the foot of the cross, but many of the other disciples had dispersed. They had abandoned Christ and, and their, their master, their Lord, the one that they had been following for years has just been crucified, brutally murdered. And they it seemed as if it was all hope was gone, that it was a hopeless situation. And so this morning, think, 
All right, what, what would be going through my mind and my heart if I was a disciple of Jesus? I spent all this time, I thought he was Lord, I thought he was Savior, I thought he was ushering in the kingdom of God. I thought he was going to make us a great nation again. Because remember, these were Israelites. They knew what their past history was. There were a period of time where there was a golden age of Israel where they had great power, they had great influence, and many of the Jews wanted to go back to that. They hated being under Roman oppression and Roman rule. They didn't want to be governed by anyone else. They wanted to assert their power. Just like many of us today. We want to assert our power. We don't want anybody to rule over us. But then Jesus comes along and he has his disciples and he's talking about the kingdom of God. And then the kingdom of God was coming and then he gets crucified. Imagine the heartbreak, the shattering of the, the hopes and the dreams as a kid, I always heard about Good Friday. And I don't know if you're, uh, you're like me, and you may be much smarter than me, you probably are, but so as a kid, I heard about Good Friday, and I finally got to learn, I mean, I grew up in church, my, my parents had me in church, so I learned that Good Friday was talking about the crucifixion of Christ, and, and when I first heard that, what do you mean you're saying Good Friday is the crucifixion of Christ? And there is a, a cognitive dissonance there that I didn't quite understand what was going on. How could, you, how could you say that this is a good day when we see, we hear about what the disciples did, what Jesus experienced, and now we're calling it Good Friday? How can we say this is a Good Friday? How can we say that when all hope seems to be lost? And we'll talk about how it, it is such a Good Friday. Without it, we are doomed. We are damned. And so we can call it Good Friday. When all hope is lost, what happens in your heart? What happens in your mind? What happens in your life? Have you ever experienced that that feeling of all hope being gone? Some of you may have experienced this and that hopelessness, that feeling of, man, what can life bring? All hope is gone. Some of you experienced that in marriage. All hope for this is gone. Maybe you've experienced that in a job. There's just no more hope in this. Maybe you've experienced it in personal relationships, family relationships. Maybe you've experienced it in a loved one passing away. Maybe you've experienced it in, uh, in life in general where you just had a season of your life where it just felt like this deep depression or this deep darkness. Life is just hopeless. What is life? Maybe some of the questions that you've asked. See, when I was studying through this and thinking through, there was a time where there was a guy I grew up, uh, grew up with uh, in Marion. And we went to school together. He was a couple years older, and I knew about him. Uh, he had a reputation. Some of you may have had the same reputation, but he had a reputation about himself. Uh, he, he was a guy that a lot of people liked. He was a very popular guy. But then he started taking down this, going down this path. This path that leads to destruction that some of you may have experienced, some of you maybe you've seen it in your own family, or you've seen others experience. But he went down this path of drugs and alcohol, and he went far down that path. He was deep into these selling, using. And, and it was one of those times in, in my life where I've grown, I've learned, but it was one of those times where, I don't know if you've ever done it too, but you kind of, oh, he's hopeless. He's just too far gone. He's into drugs. He's into all that. Man, you just kind of give up hope. Sometimes you may even think, I'll just wash my hands. He's, he's done. But the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of what we're talking about the, this morning is that he wasn't without hope. 
that all hope was not lost. He ended up going to a Christian rehab, accepting Christ as his Lord and Savior, and is dramatically changed. He's done a 180. He's living for, for Christ. He's sharing the gospel, and Christ has dramatically changed his life. There was a time, though, for him that it seemed that all hope was lost. For Joseph, let's go to the scripture and look at the Old Testament. For Joseph, there are many points in his life that all hope could have been lost, but his focus was right. As we jump into the scripture, I want to, our first point, number one, is Jesus willingly gave up his spirit. That Jesus willingly gave up his spirit. That this is a big deal for you and I. It, because we serve a God that is all powerful. That Jesus is not just a weak man. He, it's not that he was forced into that beating. It wasn't that he was forced onto the cross. But he willingly gave up his spirit. He willingly went and suffered the pain of sin and death because of you and because of me. That we don't serve a weak God. We serve a mighty God who willingly gives up his spirit. Look what it says in Isaiah. Write this down, Isaiah 53, 12, the referencing, and look that up. It's an amazing chapter in Isaiah, talking about the coming of the Messiah, what the Messiah would do. And this is Jesus. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty I spoil, because he willingly submitted to death. Because he willingly submitted to death. It was foretold, Isaiah said it, that Jesus would willingly give up his spirit. And then he goes on and says, And was counted among the rebels. When Jesus hung on the cross, he was between two rebels. He's amongst rebels right now. We are the rebels the, the, the ones on the cross were rebels. The disciples were rebels. The Romans were rebels. The Israelites were rebels. The Gentiles were rebels. And guess what? You and I, we are rebels. Without Jesus, we are all rebels in the eyes of God. And says, yet he, Jesus, the Messiah, yet he bore the sin of many and it interceded for the rebels. He bore their sin. He bore our sin. That Jesus was foretold in Isaiah that he would do this, that he would willingly give up his, his life so that he could bear our sin, the sins of many, so that we can have life. This morning, I hope that this Easter is not just another Easter for you. Now, I hope that this is not just another time that you come to church, you, mark, you check that, mark, that box off, and you'll come back in, in Christmas, you'll come back but you'll come back whenever, but that this is not just another day, that this Easter is dramatically different, that this morning that you'll see and understand the beauty of the gospel, that Jesus gave up his life, that this is a big deal, this is earth-shattering, this is life-changing, that this changes everything. This isn't just something, yeah, I believe that Jesus did that, and then I go do my own life, but I believe Jesus did that, and it changes how I interact with everybody. It changes everything about who we are. See, Jesus willingly gave up his spirit. He wants us to follow that model. He wants you to follow that model this morning. Are you willingly giving up who you are so that you can serve others? Because that's what Jesus did. He willingly gave up his divinity. He, he willingly came out of heaven. He willingly went to the cross and suffered that beating for us. Are you willing to do that? And John, he speaks of, of what is about to, to take, as well, take place. John chapter 10, write that, that down. John chapter 10, 18. And it says this, this is Jesus speaking. It says, no one, take it from, no one takes it from me, his life, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up. This charge I have received from my Father. 
Jesus, he willingly gives up his spirit. And it wasn't the Romans that held him there. It wasn't his captors. It wasn't the man who was beating him that, that held him there. It wasn't the man who was nailing his arms to the cross that held him there. It was that he willingly gave his life. Some of you have heard that over and over again. But this morning, I'd hope that you hear with new ears, how is that changing your life? Are you willing to serve others? Are you willing to give of who you are so that you can serve others? That you're giving up your life to the glory of God. So Jesus willingly gave up his spirit. Number two, Jesus finished it. This is a beautiful truth. I love this so much. So in verse 30, it says, When Jesus received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Those three words, there is a there's so much, there's a wealth of information just in these three words that when he said, it is finished, it wasn't that he was just saying, I'm done, I'm tired, I'm tired of being here on earth, I'm tired of these people, I'm tired of being beaten and mistreated and spit on and mocked and abused, I'm tired of all this, I'm just done. Just let me go, God. It wasn't that at all. When he said, it is finished, it was so deeper. It was so better than that. It was that it is finished, that it is finished for you. It is finished for me, that I no longer have to work for my salvation, that he paid the ultimate penalty, that what I tried to do, what I, could, what I failed at doing, paying back God for his, his grace and his mercy, I cannot do. Jesus did for you and I. He said, it is finished. He echoes back to the Old Testament. That in the Old Testament, there was this complex system of sacrifice, of atonement. How do you pay, your, how you pay the penalty of sin? Blood had to be shed. There was this complex system of animal sacrifice, of rituals, the way an animal had to be sacrificed, when it had to be sacrificed, the constant renewal of the sacrifice over and over and over again. And that the Israelites were under the knowledge of that. They understood that, it's a constant. I have to do it again. I've sinned again, so I have to make an atonement again. Because it was never enough. The sacrifice wasn't sufficient. But see, when Jesus says, it is finished, it is, Jesus is sufficient for our sacrifice. He is sufficient for our salvation. That there's no more that you can do to earn that salvation. There's not the right way to, to live. There's not the right thing to say. But is our faith in Jesus that saves us, that it is finished, our work is done, that we no longer have to work for our salvation. We can have rest, and we can have true rest that is found in Jesus. It is finished. It is finished. This morning when, when you walk away and you go eat uh, lunch together and you spend the rest of the day with your family or however you spend the rest of Easter, what I hope that resonates in your head over and over again, like a song that you just can't get out, is that it is finished. Meaning that it is finished in Jesus. That, that I can't be good enough. That it is finished. It is finished. That he has done the work of salvation. And that he desires to be in relationship with you. Number three. That Jesus is alive. This is a simple truth, but it is the, the, the apex, it is the high point of Christianity. It is what we are to, to, to proclaim to others, that Jesus is alive. 
Like I said earlier, that without this point, then we are to be pitied of all men. That we have nothing to boast about if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Because then he would be dead and could not conquer sin and death. And we need someone who can. And that's what Jesus did. And we see this from uh, John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. It says, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark. She saw, the, she saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb, so she ran to Simon Peter and to the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. She's frantic. She's afraid. She's, she's, in, in, in one sense, she's thinking, what have they done with him? They've not only mutilated his body, not only did they crucify him, treat him horrifically, but now they've desecrated his body. Where is he? In verse 3, at that, Peter and the other disciples went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. The, one, the disciple that outran Peter is John, the one who wrote the book. I think that's pretty awesome. He kind of gives himself, uh, hey, I'm faster than that guy. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, so, Peter outran, or, so John outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then following him, Peter, Simon Peter came also. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloth lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying there, not lying there with the linen cloth, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, then entered the tomb, saw and believed, for they still did not understand the scripture that was that that he must rise from the dead. This the disciple, then the disciples went home. That Jesus is alive. That he was not in the tomb. And grave robbers wouldn't have been able to roll the stone from the, the, the guards that were there. And then unwrap the body and fold him up and put him back in the tomb. Uh, if somebody was seeking to be a grave robber, it wouldn't have been that nice and neat. And we see that, uh, that Mary was confused. The, the disciples were confused. But where is Jesus? He's not in the tomb. And that's our celebration today, that Jesus is not in the tomb, that he rose from the dead, that he is alive. Again, this changes everything. This is the proclamation of the gospel, that Jesus came and he came to live and die and be that sacrifice that you and I could not be. That this is the truth that we proclaim to others and allow them to accept or reject, to hear the word of God or to reject the word of God. Jesus is alive. All hope is restored. Just like I said earlier, my friend that I had in high school where he was going down that terrible path, all hope was restored because of who Jesus is. It's not because he, he was strong enough to overcome addiction. It wasn't because he was strong enough to resist all the temptation that this world throws at him, but it was because of who Jesus is. Because Jesus is alive, his hope was restored. Think about your marriage. Maybe that's the only hope you have right now is that there's only hope in Jesus because there's nothing else. All hope is lost besides the fact that Jesus is alive. Maybe it's your job right now or your job situation or a relationship. Maybe there's a situation in your life where it just all hope is gone except for what is in Jesus. Jesus is alive and we get to celebrate that. We have a relationship. Jesus rose from there so that we have a relationship with God. 
It is because of what Jesus did that we can come to God. In John chapter 20, uh, 1 through 10, we see where the, uh, the disciples see the empty tomb. What do you call Jesus? This might be a strange question on Easter, but what do you call Jesus? Many of you have been here for, uh, or in Highland Park or in other churches years and years. You've seen Easter after Easter come and go. But this morning, what do you call Jesus? Do you call him good teacher? Do you call him a moral man? Do you call him uh, Lord? Do you call him Savior? What do you call Jesus? That's really the ultimate question that we have to answer this morning is what do you call Jesus? Because what you call him changes everything. It changes how you interact. If you call him a good teacher, then you can accept some things and reject others. If you just call him a good man, you can accept some things and reject others. Well, let's look at what Thomas. Thomas usually has a, a bad name uh, about doubting. But here, as he makes a profound statement. And it's in John chapter 20, 24, starting verse 24. It says, but, but one of the twelve, Thomas, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples kept telling him, we have seen the Lord. And it's amazing that Thomas was, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. you what? He, he, he heard the testimony of the others, but he still would not believe. And then he says, but he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my fingers into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his sides, I will never believe. Verse 26, after eight days, his disciples were indoors again and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and observe my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be an unbeliever, but a believer. We have to stop right there. That's a call to you and I this morning. Don't be an unbeliever, but be a believer. And then what is Thomas's response? Verse 28. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. It's amazing the songs that we sang this morning because they fit right with what Thomas says, my Lord and my God. What do you call Jesus? Is he, is he just that guy that you, you, want, you, want, you want him to take you to heaven? Like you just, as long as he takes me to heaven, as long as I get in heaven, I'm going to go do what I want to do. As long as uh, he stays over there and I stay over here, I get to do what I want to do. Or is he going to be your Lord and your Savior? What do you call him? My Lord, my God, is a proclamation of salvation. That this is who Jesus is. That he is not a good man. He's not just a, a, a person with moral teaching. But he is God. He is Savior. And do we view him like that? Because in light of the gospel, in light of Jesus, who he is, then we will seek to forgive others. We will seek to reconcile relationships with others. We will seek to love one another what, beyond what is natural, beyond what we desire to do. That we will die to ourselves to follow him. So this Easter morning, do you believe? Do you understand as Thomas has just proclaimed that Jesus is my God and my Savior? Christians, that last point there. Christians are to repent and believe in the finished work of Jesus. 
that if you're a believer in Christ this morning, that you've repented of your sin, you believe in the finished work of Jesus, that it is finished. This morning, again, I hope it goes over and over and over in your mind, that it is finished. I don't have to be good enough. I'm not working for my salvation, but it is finished. This morning, we're going to close our service, this Easter service, a little bit differently. We're going to close with communion. And I'm excited that we get to close with communion because this is the beautiful picture of what Jesus did, that he's called us to remember this picture. So as we close our service in with communion, there's a couple things I want to, to say before we enter into that time. Is that one, communion is a time where we remember the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. That salvation is only through Jesus. And so this morning, or at all times, that uh, communion, the Lord's Supper, is for believers. So if you're a believer in Christ we, and you're a guest, we welcome you to worship with us. We welcome you to take communion with us. But if you haven't yet trusted, you're still seeking out Jesus and trying to decide, trying to answer that question. You still haven't answered that question with, he is my Lord, he is my Savior. Then I would ask that you would refrain from taking a part of the Lord's Supper. Because this is a special time as believers where we remember that our hope, our full restoration is found in Jesus and him alone. So our deacon's going to come forward and we're going to enter into a time of prayer and a time of communion. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church about the Lord's Supper and had the importance of the Lord's Supper. Here's, one of his, or here's part of his instruction here in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. On the night when, when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father God, you're an amazing God that we can serve you or that you, your body was broken or that every time we have bread, Lord, we can remember who you are. You are the bread, that you are the one that was broken and beaten and battered, not because of what you did, but because of your love and obedience. Lord, you obeyed the Father, Jesus. Lord, Jesus, you loved us. Lord, that you would bear our sins. Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for your body being broken for us. That you came in physical form. You rose in physical form because you are a mighty God. Father, I thank you for this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Paul also says this. Verse 25 says, In the same way, after supper, he, took, he also took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant established by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us close in a time of prayer. Father, I thank you for this day. What an amazing celebration it is. Lord, Easter, up from the grave you arose. Lord, we sang about your resurrection. We, Lord, we heard about your resurrection. 
Father, you're an amazing God that you conquered sin and death. Lord, it was by your body and by your blood. Lord, blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. And Lord, you did that so that we could have salvation. Lord, that we could have a right relationship with you and a right relationship with others. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would put the resounding voice of your word in, in our hearts and in our minds, that it is finished. Lord, when all hope seems to be lost, when, when darkness invades our space, Father, Lord, that we remember your word, we remember who you are, Jesus, and that it is finished, that there's no work that we have to do, Lord, but to rest in your finished work. Lord, to accept you as our Lord and Savior, to repent of our sins, to turn to you, Lord, you're calling us to a, a great and mighty life. Let us seek you in all things. Let us seek to love you as, as you have loved us, to love others as you have loved us. Lord, it is by your body and by your blood that we have life. Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we could uh, worship together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.